Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Polar Opposites. I'm your host, Batboy Aqua, joined by my lovely co-host, Nam's Compendium. And we have a very special episode today, and Nam, why don't you tell us why? Well, our special episode, we have decided to invite on our first guest. Woo! Good stuff. Yeah, we have a good friend of the channel, good friend just in general. We talk to him all the time. Oh, yeah. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey guys, Tony for long form discussion style podcast here. Erm, I mean Tony for you. How's it going, guys? I'm happy to be here. It's 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 going. Yeah, it's going. I have to fucking cough real bad though. Oh, do it. Right in the <laughs> mic. Peek it. <laughs> oh, that's probably gonna be loud as fuck. So <laughs> that's usually the question that we lead with. And since you are the special guest, I'll ask you first. Tony, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm a little nervous to be here. Honestly, this is uh, this is my. Hanging out with my friends is the first podcast. I want to make them proud. My friends here. I think you'll do just fine. Trust me, it's a lot more casual than it seems. Okay, because before we came in here, you said if you say um or ah uh, or if you swear one time, you're off and I'm never having you on again. Is that true? Uh, yeah, and I'm sticking to my guns on that. I'll get you the fuck out of okay. here. All right? Okay. One wrong move. That's all it takes. Okay. Nick, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing very well. I uh, put out a somewhat uh, contentious tweet the other day. Ooh. Ooh. Because um, for those who don't know, the Persona games uh, 3, 4, and 5 have now been officially announced to come to Xbox and Windows. We like Very it. exciting. But something that seems to be a bit of a mixed bag is that instead of using the PlayStation 2 version of Persona 3, titled Persona 3 Fest, they're instead using the PSP port. The difference is in the PSP port is that there is some extra content for sure, but some stuff was changed arguably for better or for worse. One of the most notable examples is its different presentation, and that seems to be getting a lot of people a bit riled up that they're going with that version instead of the PlayStation 2 version. Which version do you think they should go with? Honestly, I think that they should go with the ps2 version if only because it would shut people up oh I, well out, outside of the discourse like what do you personally like which one believe? i prefer yeah hmm that's a tough one i think i like playing through portable more if only because the extra content in that version of the game isn't as <laughs> bad as the extra content that was added in fess in my opinion there's some really stupid shit in it but there's also like stuff i really do like and just general changes made to the way it plays i prefer it there well, you've told me uh, in our personal conversations before that you think that the PS2 version of uh, P3 is better to play as a first experience, which I imagine yes. when it comes to Game Pass, that's that's going to be a lot of people's first experience because it has actual cutscenes in it, but Portable mm -hmm. is sold more as a visual novel. And so personally, I'm not going to wait for a Portable. I'm just going to emulate the PS2 version. Yeah. I also think it helps uh, playing... Fest first because it's closer to the original intent of the game. Yeah. And I'm all about that stuff if you don't know. If you don't know who I am, I'm super into that kind of stuff. If like if I play an old game, I will not like on an emulator or something, I don't like fucking with the resolution. I don't like changing, like adding widescreen hacks and all that. I like it the way that it was always meant to be seen. I am the exact opposite. If I play a game on a PS2 emulator, I'm scaling that shit to 4K, I'm running it at like 144 hertz, and I'm putting all the post-processing on it that I can, I want it to look purdy. 
Tony, what do you think about the what do you think about the difference or or I guess the debate on which one is better? Uh the PS2 version or the PS Vita version or um PSP version? Yeah, the PSP. I'm somewhat of a game purist uh, myself. I think that the originals of games have their own merit to such a degree that you should play them first and the enhanced edition, quote unquote, should be almost always strictly be played afterwards. The PS2 versions of Persona 3 and Persona 4, I think, are standalone experiences that I enjoy a lot. A lot of people know that I'm one of the few people that think the original voice actor for Chie is superior. I think that Persona 3 FES is an amazing experience alone. And Persona 3 Portable is so different, despite it being the same game. It's so different that the fact that they're bringing one over the other is going to make people think that, oh, FES is just, you know, the one before it. But it's not. It's like completely different. The cutscenes are different. Uh, the added content is different. It's a standalone experience in a way. And you should play both, really. That's actually a really interesting uh, standpoint to take. And I, I, I very much agree with you. I think there's probably merit. Well, there, there is merit. There's the, the female protagonist route that was introduced in Portable. And I think that, you know, the new social links and stuff that are introduced with that warrants playing through both of them. And then you can see uh, the changes that they brought within Portable compared to FES. Yeah. The gameplay differences aside, I mean, obviously the AI controlled party members, which was lightly touched upon in, in the uh, tweet that we talked about before. But <laughs> all in all, if they tweaked some things of the FES version, I think that would be totally fine. But I think also just due to the fact that it's so different means that like you, you can't s pick one over the other. There, sh there should be like a Kingdom Hearts all in one. There should be like a Persona all in one uh disc that they release or game that you can buy you know like where it has fest and persona 3 portable because essentially they are different games ah you could have a completely different experience playing the female route you know you said i think people would be a lot less upset if they just released a persona 3 quote-unquote collection where it's just like you open the game and you get a menu between fest or portable and just has like a description of which each one is where it's like oh this was the game as originally intended if you want to like like, we recommend you play this one first, and then um, they also have next to it the portable box art, and it goes, this was the remix version that we made in 2010, it comes with all this stuff, play this if you want this kind of experience. I think that would have solved a lot of issues people had. Yeah, probably. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, we are the vast minority of gamers. Obviously, like, there was, uh, I'm not sure the actual statistic, but the people that are here probably listening to this are, like, hardcore of the hardcore, people that watch videos about video games, people that listen to podcasts about video games. They're the minority, and people honestly will just see Persona on the Game Pass and be like, cool. And they won't even know the other version exists, a majority of them. They'll probably just play Portable and then go, oh, that's weird, it's called Portable, I'm playing this on my computer, and then that'll be the end of it. But uh, I think it's doing the series a disservice not to have both, yeah, I I agree they should have both available and you get to pick which one you prefer i totally I, I totally agree with what you guys are saying uh so let's uh let's move on to our first question because when we bring a special guest on i think there's going to be two kinds of episodes and the these i guess frameworks are probably going to uh overlap a lot it's either going to be an interview style or just a shoot the shit style so because this is tony's first episode on the show because trust me, he'll be back again. Uh, this first one's going to be an interview style, and the next one that he comes on, however many episodes from now that may be, it'll be more of a shooting the shit with uh, just some buddies. So our first question that we want to ask is, Tony, what is your channel? Tell us a little bit about yourself. 
All right. Yeah. I will tell a brief description of my channel. Hi, I am Tony, owner and operator of channel Tony for you. I talk mainly about Shin Megami Tensei and Persona series, mainly focusing on the narrative and theological inspiration aspects of it. Uh, I am a person that greatly values story uh, above uh, any other aspect in game. I try to dig deep in the theological and historical inspiration of aspects in games plenty of other people might overlook. And I've built my channel off the basis of highly researched, highly edited uh, brief descriptions of what inspired my favorite game series. And quite the successful channel, too. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm happy with where it went, for sure. When compared to uh, other channels, even in this the same niche, it's it's uh, it's a uh, it's a nice little channel, I'd say. It's I'm I'm very very happy with the way it's uh, it's been going, and hopefully where it'll uh, end up going as well. Mm -hmm. It's also a pretty interesting channel. But compared to a lot of people in this community, I myself I like talking about the games just as they are, just like as a product that you can buy what to expect out of it, the quality of its execution, blah, 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 all that stupid stuff. But you talk about the less tangible parts of the games, stuff that you really have to dig deep to understand. For a while, you were talking about the lore of every individual demon featured in, the, in those games. Yeah, sometimes I feel like when I research a video, uh, I like to joke about it a lot, but every single time I do an SMT lore video, I go down such a deep rabbit hole, I learn more about... It feels... Forgive me if I sound crazy, but I feel like after every episode, I feel like I understand more about the universe itself. Like, especially after, <laughs> uh, like, videos like The Demiurge, where I learned about Gnosticism, and I was reading those books, and uh, the Angelic Order video, where I was really diving deep in, like, angelology and the book of Ezekiel and the Bible. And I was reading about the Old Testament, the forgotten esoteric texts that were omitted from the Bible on purpose. It was really weird uncovering these truths that uh, there are contemporary texts that could shed light on the history of our people in general, that a lot... 99% of the population had no idea books of the Bible were willfully omitted from the church because they weren't fitting in line with the narrative they were trying to spin and what Gnosticism is, what the ancient churches used to do, what the Philistine Empire was, stuff like that. I don't want to go on a rant, but it, it's really interesting, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And as much as it is <laughs> funny to hear you say you become, you feel like you understand the universe more, there is merit to the idea that SMT lore and, I guess, world lore do sort of intersect because all the demons are based on, like, the, the real world mythologies. Yeah, and at the end of the day, my videos aren't even so much SMT lore videos, so much as I'm using SMT as a jumping off point to understand more about theology and history and mythology as well. 90% of my video is just the history of the character. Like my Demiurge video, most of it was explaining what Gnosticism is, who the Demiurge is, who created Demiurge, what the Demiurge did. And at the very end, I tie it all back together to the game. But uh, the whole point of the videos is to get people interested, to get people to appreciate the in-depth research that went into adding presumably innocuous characters. Like you see the, you see angels and you go, oh, it's just a cute angel. It's got wings and whatever. But when you even Google angels, you open the Wikipedia article, it's like pages and pages of angelology. Uh, this part of the Bible, uh, Ezekiel uh, saw into the, the kingdom of heaven and there was uh, 
they had seven wings and a million eyes and it's crazy what you can learn just by digging a little bit deeper past the surface of anything. So, you know, obviously you're very passionate about your channel and the things that you research on the channel. And just for other people that are watching, Tony doesn't just cover lore. You also have things like your most recent videos, the top five Shin Megami Tensei games, which I think is uh, great. Uh, one of your most popular videos and, you know, one that I had a great time watching was Shin Megami Tensei's alignment problem, which takes a really neat perspective on the way alignments are presented in those games. And so I wanted to ask you, what inspired you to make your channel? I'd say, well, thank you for the for the compliments on those videos. Uh, I'm happy to do uh, discussion style videos as well. But the reason why I started my channel, as you might know, my first video was where to start SMT. It had really humble beginnings where when I was trying to answer that question for myself, a lot of the times I didn't really find the answers I was looking for, the explanations I was looking for. And I knew that I had somewhat of a unique voice as, as arrogant as that might sound. I, I felt like I had a unique voice and believed I could fill a niche that I saw needed filling for people like me, people who thought like me, people who had the same interests as me, what they value. And I will tell you, uh, I value it as well. And I'll tell you what parts of it, uh, which games will scratch the itch that you have. So we already know a little bit about your current channel, Tony. I was just curious, something that was that I really like hearing is stories about YouTube prior to people's current channels, because I myself took like so long to find something I was truly interested in doing. Like I jumped everywhere from like Let's Plays, crappy like camera recording the TV reviews, like shitty ABGN ripoff stuff. So I was just very curious about if you had any sort of stories about YouTube, about experience on it, trying to make videos prior to your current channel. So my first video that I ever made actually was the first video on my channel. As uh, as weird as it sounds, before this, it seems like every YouTuber has the story of like, yeah, I had a hundred other videos before one was successful and I deleted all the other ones because it was, you know, I made music videos or, or I made cringy stuff. But for me, I kind of knew what I wanted to do from the very beginning. And I had no prior experience in video making, in really computers in general. I have, I'm still pretty tech illiterate. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I've just taught myself editing. I downloaded Audacity and I just, I made my first video and that was it. I thought, I thought that was going to be the only video I made, but months later, after an unfortunate a series of events with uh, uh, the job I had at the time, I thought, you know what, uh, let's make another one. And let's make another one. Let's make another one after this, make another one after this. And then what went from a pastime turned into a hobby and that turned into a passion. And eventually I met some great people, namely the people in this very call. Thank you. And uh, here we are now. You know, I, I think it's weird hearing someone saying, oh yeah, I just made my first video that's on my channel. Cause I feel like every YouTuber, like it's, it's like a rite of passage. You have to go through downloading fraps, recording a really bad Minecraft let's play and then deleting everything right after. <laughs> and yeah, I never had that. Yeah. Hearing that you didn't have that is so uh, strange to me. It's really weird because everyone I know that does this sort of thing had those kind of stories. Like I met Nolan in high school and at the time he was doing something totally different than he is now. And I was also doing something different than what I'm doing now. Yeah. And 
I still remember watching some of his older videos and leaving comments on them. And I remember him doing the same for me. It's pretty strange to meet someone who found something almost immediately. Yeah. For, for me and Nick, I think I can speak for you, Nick. It was like the stuff we were making before, it, it was, we, we enjoyed it. But I feel like the stuff we do now is like our, our calling on YouTube. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's something that we feel like, yes, this is, this is what I should be doing. And maybe that's just because mm -hmm. we've had success with it. And so we have that reinforcement. But to hear that you immediately landed on your calling, as as we're going to name it, is really interesting and really cool, actually. Yeah, I don't really have a, a story. Like, I know a lot of people, like you said, I don't know how it was for you guys. But when you made your first video that maybe was the one you thought, okay, this is the one I'm going to stick with. I never really had the aha moment like, oh, this, I had a lot of fun making this as opposed to the other ones. I made SMT videos. I played, my first game I played in the series was Persona 4. Then it, it was like, history from there. It's, I was wanting to get into SMT. I couldn't do it. Like I said before, I, I, I was like, I'll make my own where to start SMT. And then I, st I made it. And then I played more and more of the series and my passion for the series grew more and more every game I played. And I saw, <clears throat> excuse me, I saw the passion behind the community behind it. And I had people that I respected in the community. I had aspects of the game I knew I was passionate about. It kind of scratched every itch of me as a person. This is a game based on theological demons and these demons are extremely interesting. You could go days and days and days researching them. And I did. Yeah, I was doing this all alone anyway. I was researching the stuff like becoming euphoric and enlightened as it were. And I was really having a great time and I was telling it to my friends, to my family. And then eventually I was just like, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's share this with other people. And I might as well see if anyone else is interested in the same topic as well. And lo and behold, they were. So you talk a lot about, obviously, world knowledge and mythology, and, and SMT is sort of the vehicle you use to drive those lessons. And so we kind of have to ask, what's your favorite SMT game? And to clarify, that is like all of SMT that includes Persona, any of the spinoffs, yada, yada. Good question. A lot of people don't know this about me, but I actually prefer Persona to SMT, despite how much of my channel is dedicated to Shin Megami Tensei mainline and the spinoff games, uh, aside from Persona, obviously spinoff. I much prefer Persona, the slice of life stuff. I like the characters. I like the music. I like all that stuff. So Persona 4 is definitely one of my favorite video games ever made. And that's without any nostalgia attached to it. It is a game I played in college, uh, in, in the later half of my college years, since I went in like right out of high school. And I just, I loved it to death. I loved it so, 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 so much. I played four, then five, then three, then one, then two, right after each other. And I could not get enough. And then I went into the uh, series proper. And I guess that's what spurred on my passion to make videos. But deep in my heart, I'm a Persona fan through and through. I love it. Well, thanks a lot. Because now this video is going to get dislike bombed. By the by, the oh. true SMT fans. <laughs> but not only did you say Persona was your favorite, you said Persona Four was your favorite. Yeah, oh that, God. that is like the recipe for disaster. But you got some very good taste there, sir. Thank you, my friend. I can't decide between four or five which one I I, I think is the best. But I think four is a very acceptable answer. And they're both great. They I, they are both great games, but they they have really bad writing, Tony. No. <laughs> Ryuji, Bad a teenager, writing. says for real. Who says that? Also, the people who are making that criticism genuinely say poggers in their day-to-day -day life, but we're, we're going to ignore <laughs> that. 
Man, Futaba's so unrealistic. <laughs> also, Yo, mom comes downstairs. Hey, hun, we're having oatmeal for dinner. And he's like, oh, that's Pog, dude. Thanks, Keck W. I'll be upstairs. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, I, since we're we're kind of on that topic, Nick, do you want to answer what is your favorite SMT slash Persona game? Yeah, I'm the same as Tony, honestly. Persona 4 is my favorite one. It was a toss-up between 5 and 4 for so long. Like, when I first played P5 when it came out, I was like, man, that is such a good game. But I feel as though as time has gone on, Persona 4 uh, left a lot of a emotional impact on me. It's a game that I think about a lot. It's a game that has a very welcoming feeling to it. It feels, as dumb as it sounds, it feels like you're home again when you play it. Like, it brings me back to, like, times where I would, like, just hang out with my friends after school, just sort of bumming around, because there wasn't really much to do growing up. I didn't have a car when I was, like, in high school. I couldn't really go anywhere, so it was mostly just me and my friends going to, like, the movie theater sometimes, just sort of hanging out. And Persona 4 kind of reminds me of those days. You know, I- I'm currently in that middle ground between 4 or 5. I would have said 4 Golden is better than Base 5, but Royals kind of upset that Royals balance. really good. I agree that I like Persona 4 more in the sense that with 5, the entire cast gets swept up into this idea of being these like vigilantes or whatever. And 4 is more in touch with kind of just being a kid. Like I, I, as, as much as, you know, people might not like it, I, I think I really like the the moments such as when you uh, and Yosuke are trying to convince your parents to let you get a license and to get a scooter because Yosuke is like, oh, you know, chicks dig dudes on bikes. And it's like it's very juvenile, but that's it's like a realistic kind of juvenile. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. it's very small town mundane. But it's presented in such an endearing way that it it does. It feels nostalgic for I mean for for something that you haven't even done. I mean, I, I don't I never played Persona 4 growing up, but it has that nostalgic feeling. And I think that's something that isn't recaptured the same way in five, which I, I don't think five is necessarily trying to do that. And I think uh social links and some of the ideas in four stuck with me more than some of the ideas in five, even if I do think that five is like fantastic, especially when you get to presentation and music. It's just the best the series has ever looked and sounded, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So aside from, per, like, you, we already know what you think about, which game you like a lot. I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on the SMT franchise as a whole in its current direction? Uh, That's a can of worms. I, <laughs> in the alignment problem video that was mentioned before, I had to cut out a few lines. Uh, that's the Doomer Tony talking in oh. me at the very end. And I, I don't know if I told you guys this, but a lot of the lines that were supposed to be in the alignment problem video were incredibly negative towards the direction of the game because I felt like SMT1 had great alignments, great characters, great story. SMT2 had great alignments more or less great characters but the alignments were a bit rough three did something incredibly unique but it was different in a good way and four and five ended up doing a lot narratively that i did not like and like i said before and i keep saying i greatly value characters and narrative far above gameplay in a video game and i know that sounds weird because a game should be gameplay but to me it's incredibly important for a jrpg a game i'm going to be spending hundreds of of hours in potentially to have a narrative and characters that I enjoy. It seems like the direction of SMT that it's heading in is more gameplay oriented, which is okay, but 
if it's to the detriment of the narrative and the characters, as it was in SMT5, and I feel like a lot of people would agree with my take that SMT5 omitted, um, or not so much omitted, but put less of an emphasis on characters and story for the sake of gameplay. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that compromise very much. I think um, more should be poured into creating a story that sticks with the player for a very long time. It doesn't need to be incredibly insane story. Nocturne had a fantastic story. Almost every single one of the PS2 games had fantastic stories. Digital Devil Saga, Nocturne, the Rido games, they were all fantastic. But the way it's going now, especially the fact that they chose to make a Soul Hackers 2, not to get too deep into that, but a Soul Hackers 2 above any other continuation of a series, not Devil Survivor, not Rido, uh, not Digital Devil Saga, not any of these other titles in the games, but Soul Hackers, which is universally touted as a almost Saturday morning cartoon story SMT game. It's very troubling. And I kind of agree with that to some extent, because to bring it back to SMT5, like a lot of people uh, have this agreement that SMT5 has a lot of great gameplay to it. Some fantastic ideas that, like, push the series forward, like, in terms of gameplay. Like, larger maps, we get to see demons on the overworld, they're full models. Party member customization was great. But we don't really see many people talking about that game since it came out. And I think that has to do with the fact that its story did not leave any, like, any sort of impact on anyone. There's not much to talk about with SMT5's narrative. And when people talk about a bunch of SMT games, it's usually about the alignment discussion. It's about the characters. It's about the world. And SMT5 doesn't really have that going for it. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's very few and far between with characterization moments that stick out. I basically can only tell you the names of the characters in the games, not particularly what they do, least of all their personality, aside from the famous one with um, Mr. Virgil. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's incredibly, it's just as disappointing to see the direction that they're taking it in as, oh, well, you know, make the areas look cool. Okay, but what about the world? What about the atmosphere? What about the characters inhabiting this world? What about the stories being told even on a smaller scale as opposed to the larger narrative. And I agree. Most people aren't talking about that game anymore because, and it's not even really their fault. There's not much to say. We've basically talked all there was to say about SMT5 a couple weeks after it released and we've cleaned our hands of it. We're back to talking about 3 and 4 and Digital Devil Saga and Rido and Devil Survivor. Games that came out years and years before on some on handheld consoles, but still managed to stick with us far longer than the newest entry in the series. You know, uh, whenever a discussion like this comes up in that a game starts sort of abandoning it's not abandoning its story, but when you look at something like SMT5, it's clear that gameplay was focused on more than story. And something people always bring up is that gameplay should be the most important thing in a game. And I actually agree with that mindset. I think if it's a toss up between what do you focus on more, good gameplay or good story, I think good gameplay is going to be uh, what I choose every single time. But an interesting quote, or I guess a paraphrase I'd like to bring up comes from, of course, a Joseph Anderson video where he said that gameplay is king, but story is queen and her throne sits right next to his. And I think that's something that a lot of people tend to forget when they discuss the importance of gameplay, Uh, because SMT5, as a lot of people have said, has the best gameplay in the series. And uh, right? I think it does. More or less, yeah. And I feel like even though the story isn't as strong, it should be much stronger. Mm -hmm. So, all right, now that we've talked about the... uh, (laughs) 
the games. Let's get into the nitty gritty. <laughs> oh, I know where this is going. How do you mm-hmm. how do you feel about the SMT community, Tony? Oh, brother, the SMT community. Um, it's uniquely weird. I wouldn't say the SMT community is so much a community of the entire series, so much as sub communities within a series. Like there's the Persona fandom, the Persona community. There's the SMT mainline community. There's even spin-off communities like there's people that only like Devil Survivor and don't even get me started on them. There's people that only like very specific game types. There's people that like the classics. There's people that like the new. There's people that like Persona. It's very fragmented. Uh, but overall, I'd say that the community is not as bad as people say it is. It is toxic. It's elitist at times. But at the same time, it's filled with such passionate people that once you sift through the mud, you find people that are incredibly smart and deserving of respect that will enlighten you on topics you didn't even know existed. So it's overall pretty good. That's a very positive take from you. And I I applaud you for having such a, a bright outlook. I mean, me personally, I think the greatest achievement of the SMT community is that despite how fragmented it is and despite how many small communities there are within the larger umbrella of SMT, they are all equally annoying as fuck. And I think that's very impressive. I I think SMT fans, they might be some of the most entitled fans I've interacted with online. And of course, I'm not talking about anyone in particular, but I, I truthfully, I love just staying far away from as far away from the series as possible nick what do you think it's always that the vocal minority is always the loudest have you guys ever heard that uh saying yeah 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 it's kind of like sonic in a way where people love to like take the piss out of those fans because of those infamous examples within the fans base itself but there are some great people there Mm -hmm. like more often than not, I think you're going to have a good conversation with someone. It's just that those times where it's just some guy who feels like they're superior for no reason and just talks down to you for liking one thing over another. And this isn't just me saying, oh, essence mainline people versus Persona fans. This is even like within Persona itself. Like, oh, if you like P5, you're not a real fan. It's like, yeah. dude, shut up. Like, I just like the games. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Also, PSA for people who who don't know it already. If you enjoy a game and you want someone to play it, don't tell them that the game you like is better than the game they like. And if they play the game you like, they will hate every other game because yours is so good. That doesn't make sense. Like, that's not even just limited to SMT. I remember seeing that all the time with, like, Yakuza, where it's like, you say you like, like, it, it can be some random game. Like, I've seen it where people say, yeah, I like, um, I like Persona 3. Oh, that game's bad. Play Yakuza 0 instead. It's like, I'm, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Like, if, if, like, if it's just gonna be like that, I don't think I want to do that. That's like, I, I cover a lot of the Arkham games. And I got some comments just over the last year or two saying that, you know, the Shadow of Mordor games or the Shadow of games are far better than the Arkham games and their combat is admittedly similar so that's where the comparison comes from and I got so many people telling me that like it's way better and they're like trust me the Arkham series sucks compared to this game I tried Shadow of Mordor and it's it's not fun (laughs) like I mean I'm not saying that it's a bad game I I haven't finished it but I put it down after four hours because I was just bored out of my skull It, it is yeah and maybe I need to give it more of a chance because I'll admit there are some games like, there are some games that get really good after kind of a long time. Like, I'll always 
uh, say that Watch Dogs Legion is the most boring game that I've played in, in a long time for the first like 20 hours. And then for five hours, it gets really, really good. And then it goes back to shit for like the last 30 minutes. And, <laughs> and it's just so weird because... <laughs> I always people are always like well how come you you kind of like Watch Dogs Legion and I say like trust me you know after the first 20 hours this game gets kind of good it's also hard to sell someone on something like that and I wouldn't want to sell someone on something like that like I think honestly if the game's 25 hours and only five of it is good it's like well that's still only 20% of the game that's actually good or or something like I think the best part of the Borderlands games is the end game once you have a maxed out character and you're farming for guns I think that's where the game's completely at its peak but it takes a lot of time to get there and the time trying to get there isn't the most fun. Because I think Borderlands is fun on the first playthrough because everything's new and interesting. And then you have to do true Vault Hunter mode, which is kind of a slog. And then you have to do Ultimate, which is an even greater slog. And then you just grind up levels, grinding for the same guns over and over again so you can make grinding for levels easier and then vice versa. And then once you finally hit the max level of like level 72 plus you're like op9 so you're like actually level 81 or 82 or something like that it's like only at that point then you can go online and you can farm bosses with friends that i think the game is at its peak and it's like is it really fair to say that i recommend the game if i say yeah you got to play the game for 30 hours before you can (laughs) fully enjoy it (laughs) probably not but yeah anyways aside from the smt community what was the biggest i'm gonna try that again (laughs) (laughs) Aside from the SMT community, what were the greatest challenges you had to overcome to get to where you are now? To where I am now, I'm assuming you mean uh, overcoming laziness is a big aspect. For me personally, I'm an incredibly lazy person. When I first started the channel, even starting it and making the first video took me a long time. And I was an adult man. I didn't start doing this when I was a kid. So it's oddly difficult to put in the effort to make something worth your time. Because when you're working for yourself, you can't really slack. When I was working jobs all throughout high school, my teenage years, you learn ways to slack off. But when you're doing something purely for passion, purely to make people entertained and make people happy, it's a completely different mindset you need to have. You need to put the max 100% effort into it. You need to do the research. You need to put in the effort. You need to make it entertaining. You know, mix the audio, record the footage, uh, edit the video, record your, record everything, mix it properly. There's a lot that goes into it that is a lot of work. Learning to start small and understanding that your first time doing it is obviously going to be the worst because it's your first and transforming something that is something you wanted to try out into, like I said before, something I did to something I do to a hobby to a passion, that transition is exponentially gaining experience, comfort, uh, enjoyment, fulfillment of what you do. I really like that you mentioned not being lazy because I think that Mm. is something that a lot of people struggle with. And I've always kind of had this mindset of in order to be good at something, you don't have to master the skill. You just have to master your work ethic. And I think especially on YouTube, it is very important to not just put the time in, but to actually make the most of your time. Because I I mean, like you said, when I worked as a cashier back in the day, dude, oh man, I would find all the ways to just take the longest possible time to do even the smallest shit because you're paid by the hour. On YouTube, you're not. When, when you work for yourself, you're not paid by the hour and you're not even paid based on how much effort you put in. I One of my most popular videos on my channel is a video that took me like a week and a half to put together. And it was done strictly because I'm like, oh yeah, I guess my channel's dying. I need to pick it up in the algorithm. And that, that's just something that I think a lot of people struggle with. And things like, and I want to know, how do you feel about 
the opportunity cost of being self-employed? It's a difficult proposition to give people because it's very romantic sounding being self-employed on YouTube. You might hear this all the time of the naysayers and the doomsayers saying that you won't succeed on YouTube. It's theoretically impossible. Yep. The odds are so low. And you know what? They're probably right. There's no job security. There's no guarantee of success. There's no guarantee of return on investment. So when you are looking to become self-employed on YouTube specifically, you hear it time and time again. If you ask 90% of YouTubers, did you think you would be successful when you first started? They'll all say no. It comes from passion. It comes from a hobby that transforms into something more. And that's the success story for a lot of people. It's, I just wanted to do this. I had passion. I had drive and I did something and people liked it. And then that's the make or break moment. A lot of people don't realize is that it isn't just doing something. It's doing something and continuing to do it and adhering to a schedule and understanding what made it successful and being able to parlay initial success into long-term success. Yeah. And I probably am not even there. Like, uh, <laughs> But to the point where I am now, I'd like to think that I put in effort probably not as much as I should have. I probably, you know, I could, you could, we can sit here and talk about, okay, well, you should make a video every single day. You should be working 24 hours a day. You should sleep 30 minutes in a day, but whatever makes you the happiest, whatever gets you the most fulfillment, whatever, and, and that whatever brings you the most happiness mixed with whatever will give you the most long-term success. It, the, those two roads should intersect and that should be your path forward. And if that makes you a uh, hand over fist money, PewDiePie style, then God bless. Yeah, I, I think um, it was really interesting what you brought up about how being, I guess, successful is not about having one video pop off. It's about having that sustainability and that consistent growth and moving forward. I mean, myself and Nam, we have seen countless channels get that their lucky break so to speak, and not study or look at why a video like that did well, and then they sort of squander their their success. And you see plenty of channels like that. They'll get a video that does super well, and then they either, through not knowing why the video did well or having being too stubborn to lean into what did so well, end up just kind of going back to their previous numbers. And that's really, I guess, uh, I wish that didn't happen as much as it does, but the fact that you were able to avoid that is something you should be really proud of. Yeah, it's very easy to fall into like this trap where some one thing does well and then you somehow convince yourself that it wasn't because you had a good topic. It wasn't because of what you were talking about, your thumbnail, your title, anything like that. You somehow convince yourself that it was because of you and your own personality. And as Nolan said, him and I have seen so many channels that get like this one video they make, it blows up like a hundred thousand views and then they don't do anything similar to it and it ends up not working out for them and thankfully him and i and also you because uh i i'm trying to remember uh this was when we first started talking tony when you made that one video and after it did pretty well i was trying to tell you like look you should keep doing more stuff like that i believe that's how it happened i remember that yeah i made one video in a specific style of like the smt lore stuff and then i did a few top fives and you were saying you're seeing consistent growth. You should make a video every week or try and bang out a video every week mm -hmm. in this similar style and see where it takes you. And I was like, I shrugged my shoulders. I said, okay, sure, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And I did. And I rode away from like 700 subscribers to like 15,000 in like two months. It was crazy. Like that. that's better growth than I ever had. Yeah, same. <laughs> 
this is just like a general tip for anyone doing YouTube stuff. If something is working, please just keep doing it. Even if it does slightly pigeonhole you at the time, you can still break out with enough effort. Like I have this huge, <laughs> as as we say, doomer mindset. I'm not a, I'm not afraid to admit this. Whenever I put out a video outside of my niche, it doesn't do that well. I I do feel kind of bad, and I talked to Nolan about it, and he thankfully, you know, cheers me up a bit. He like he calms me down. He says, "Look, you and I, we're gonna try to fix this together." And I very much appreciate having a friend like that. You're my boy, of course, and I'm willing to do that for you too as well. And I think don't put too much pressure on yourself if it doesn't work out immediately but you should also remember that there is a sort of opportunistic uh motive behind youtube stuff you gotta be sure to like roll with the punches or capitalize on stuff that's working out for you that and when we say pigeonhole it doesn't mean that you're stuck doing the same stuff but that you need to slowly branch out more Mm -hmm. so for myself the two major series on my channel that always do numbers when I post a video for them is Assassin's Creed and Batman. And so what I've been doing is as I continue to review those games, I try to branch out into other stuff. So I branched out into Spider-Man quite successfully. And, you know, the returns weren't as great, but they were still good enough to where I could justify doing more of them. And then I eventually branched into Uncharted. Those videos did well. So now I'm covering that. Uh, My first video on Tomb Raider did well. So I think that's what's important too, is like obviously lean into what works, but only do that for the first little bit and don't make it so that once you run out of say assassin's creed games to cover your channel's dead it should be you know obviously you're gonna take a hit i think once i upload my final uh, assassin's creed video i'm probably gonna lose a couple of subscribers just because that's what they were there for and now that that's done they're not going to come back and that's fine but i think it's really important to not get caught up in something that you mentioned earlier nick which is the ego and this idea that i'm successful because of me and look, I mean, all three of us here, we, we've had we've had success with our channels and it is because of ourselves. It's because of our work that we put in. And I'm not trying to invalidate that for you guys or anyone else listening that is a successful creator. But I think especially and I've seen this a few times within the video essay sphere is people think that the reason their video essays get views is because of them and their personality. And they believe that. And I think putting personality in your videos is important, but people will sit there and say, they're there because of me. They love me. And I think in almost every case, that's just straight wrong. Yes. And no matter the channel, like I think for myself, I know that I have at least like 2000 people that whatever I put out, they're going to watch it no matter what. But I'd be lying to myself If I said that the reason my Batman videos did well was because of me and my personality and it had nothing to do with the title and thumbnail being good, the relevance, considering that we have two new Batman games in the work and a Batman movie that came out and the fact that it's just a niche that has that for a time was untapped because of the lack of release games. And and so I think people that ignore the more statistical side of it in favor of thinking that it's because they themselves are just geniuses and are and are so sophisticated in critiquing games, I think uh, that's a trap that they fall into. And that'll ultimately lead to their own demise, because then they think one that they can jump into whatever game that they want. And two, then they just have unrealistic expectations of how well a video is going to do. Because if, when I release a video on fucking Tetris, if I think that that video is going to do well, 
I'm kidding myself, genuinely. Like, I'm I'm setting myself up to fail if I think a video on Tetris is going to do well. And so when I did release a video on that and it got like 10,000 views in the first two weeks, I wasn't that disappointed because it was more <laughs> of a passion project. I really wanted to make a video talking about how much I love those games. And the same goes for the Honey Pop games. That's just the way it is. And I and I think expecting them to do better than they actually will is, is a trap that people fall into. And it's good that uh, you yourself have not fallen into that, Tony. Uh, oddly enough, I did kind of fall into that. I don't know if you guys have watched the video. One of the earliest videos I made on my channel was the beauty of RPG maker games. And I never talk about that video and neither does anyone else. Uh, but it is a video that I made where I talked about three RPG maker games I thought were really cool. And it, even at the time, it was like my third or fourth video. It got less views than I usually did. And I usually hit like 500 views and that one got like 40. And I was like, dang. So even early on, your first couple videos, that's the niche you're in. But that's something that you learned from. You didn't just sort of, uh, what a lot of people do is they blame it on the algorithm. Don't get me wrong. I think the algorithm can be unkind at times. But I think blaming your video for not getting pushed in the algorithm is most of the time just unrealistic and un unfounded. Chances are if a video isn't getting pushed in the algorithm, it's a problem with you and not with the algorithm. Um, myself and yeah. Nick have had some occasions where, uh, Nick, do you remember a year ago you had a video that just got like almost shadow banned for no reason? Yes, it was the, um, uh, this is no tinfoil hat theory at all. No, it wasn't. We, we verified this actually happened. It was my Persona 3 portable video. Uh, it came out doing very well, and then it was either the next day or hell, even just a few hours later after it came out, it was still a very new video when this happened. Yeah. It was completely removed from search results. This is not like an SEO thing, because even if you looked up the name of my channel, it would not even show up as a new video that I made. Mm -hmm. Like, you would have wow. to go on the channel itself and click the video tab to even see it. At first, I thought it was, like, a thing on my end, but I even reached out to YouTube support, and they, they said, oh, it's just not ranking in search results, and it's like, but that doesn't make any sense. You can't even see it if you look at my own name. Like, you, could, you couldn't find it if you searched for the exact title of the video. No, you couldn't find it with the title. Like, when I say look at my own name, if you look up a YouTube channel name, it'll show the channel, right? And just below it, it tells you their two most recent videos. Yeah. Like, that video was just missing. It was gone. And, yeah, when that happened... That fucking sucks, and I'm not going to sugarcoat that at all. Right after you messaged support, and they told you, like, no, it's not our fault, it just started ranking It just again. showed up yeah. again, right after that. <laughs> or, like, I had this recently with my Uncharted video, uh, my Golden Abyss video, and I don't... I'm not mad about this, because this ended up turning out okay. Video starts is at like a four out of 10. And I check back an hour later and it's at like an eight. And I'm like, whoa, what happened? And I look at the impressions and for a solid hour, it just didn't get recommended at all. Like not a single recommendation. And then just started getting recommended again. Like it was like the video was literally frozen for an hour. And then it just went back up to four out of 10 or whatever. Like it, it was doing fine after that. And I feel like for a smaller channel, having a video that just stops getting recommended for an hour can kill a video huge. And, and so I think like, don't get me wrong, you can blame the algorithm sometimes, but it's not always the algorithm's fault. Yeah. What also doesn't help is just the cold, unflinching nature of the YouTube studio um, statistics. Oh, yeah. Because, oh my god, I think those, those stupid arrows have caused me more stress than anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the ranking out of 10? Oh. The ranking out of 10, the best way to describe it is toxic. I explain what the ranking thing is for, for our non-YouTuber listeners. I believe this only starts once you get 10 videos out. 
I believe so. Mm. It's been a long time since I started making videos, so I don't even remember. It does not. Okay. But when you start uploading more videos, eventually you start getting them ranked when they come out. It'll say, for example, I have my thing pulled up so I can read it. It says, first X amount of days, X amount of time compared to your typical performance. And then it'll give you a number out of 10. And this is ranked from one being the best to 10 being the worst. It'll compare it to the last 10 videos you made at that time. It gives you a number. It shows you how many views, click-through rate, all that stuff. And then those are accompanied with a couple marks. There's the up green arrow, which is what you always want. There's the neutral check mark, as I like to call it, which just means it's typical. But worst of all, there's the down gray arrow. And that has been the most stressful thing in my life. Because when the arrow is down and gray, that means it's not doing as well. And when it's not doing as well, and you already have an audience, it can kind of stay that way or get worse if you don't do something about it. And those were like some uh, self-doubting thoughts can come from. Where it's like the the doomer energy takes over and you're like, oh, this sucks. Like, what am I, why am I even trying? Blah, blah, blah. And usually you can fix it, but sometimes you can't. And, uh, and it really is a determinant of your mood. If my green, if I have a green mm-hmm. upward arrow, I'm in a great mood. If I got a little white check mark, eh, I'm okay. If I got a gray arrow, I'm pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and to add on to that, YouTube is not very helpful at all either. You can hover over it. <laughs> <laughs> when it has the gray down arrow on click-through rate or views, if you hover over it, you'd think it would tell you something helpful, right? But no, it's just like, people aren't clicking your stuff. That's kind of unlucky. Yeah. <laughs> Have you tried doing something different? And their, it's like, their, well, their advice no? is awful. Like, I, I, had a, um, I had a really good month in March. My channel across the board got like 1.2 million views. It was great. I was like fucking ecstatic. And there was a little icon on the YouTube studio that was like, hey... Uh, just want to let you know, your videos are performing well because people are showing more interest in it. And it's like, no shit. Obviously. I think my favorite piece of bad advice they ever gave me, and this happens quite a bit. Well, and, and to be fair, it's good advice. It's just very obvious. <laughs> it's good advice, but for like a general channel, but for like something that what I do, which takes so, so long for me to make a video, right? Yeah, because there's so much time like, that goes into it. <laughs> for people who don't know, I upload once a month, and that's not because I take multiple days off. It just takes that long for me because of how, like, the length of the games I talk about. I replay games multiple times for my videos. Well, and, just to make and sure it takes that I'm... long for a lot of YouTubers. Like, it's not yeah. exclusive to you. Like, the t- kinds of videos you make demand that kind of time investment. Yeah, but good old YouTube sees every video as just a video, like, obviously. Like, they can't just go oh, this person makes this kind of video, so we're going to give them different advice. Like, realistically, they can't do that. But this results in some of the stupidest advice I've ever received from the fucking studio app. And that just says, oh, uh, you're not getting as many views. Maybe you should upload more. It's like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Really? I didn't know. They also don't take into account anything about the video itself, even like the small things. Like when it's showing you your 10 ranked videos, it doesn't take into account the length of the video. It doesn't take into account subject matter. Obviously, it doesn't take into account like what playlist it was added into. Like if you're making a series, you can upload a 30 second video that gets a billion views and it will comp- that will be your number one. For your next 10 uploads, if you, like my 45 minute video has much higher obviously it has much higher watch time because it's a long video it has much higher click-through rate has much higher views but 
that will stay at number one and it will be compared to my 10 minute videos, 15 minute videos, eight minute videos, 20 minute videos. And it mm-hmm. will say, Ooh, this is bad. Your, your average watch time is minutes less than usual. And it's like, no, it's not. If I upload a 10 minute video and the watch, watch time is like seven minutes, that's good. But for the 45 minute video, the average watch time was like 15 minutes and that's significantly less, but the numbers don't add up. And all you see is the gray arrow. That's like, has some like Freudian response that you're doing bad and you should feel ashamed. Yeah. So let's, let's move on a little bit back into uh, the more, the specifics of your channel. What video are you most proud of and which one are you least proud of? Personally, the one I'm most proud of is the Angelic Order of SMT video. It was the first video I covered that pulled me into that rabbit hole I spoke of earlier about theology Mm. that I became known for. For for months afterwards, I was reading about this stuff, learning about this stuff, and that was kind of my moment where I thought I could talk about these games for a very long time. If I can even make multiple videos about specific demons, every game has hundreds of demons, if not more. And each of them have such rich history because they're taken from real life, whether it's the angels, the nine orders of angels, to the Demiurge, to even lesser known stuff like Cúhollin of Irish folklore or Greek mythology. I could have a whole series based off of each individual demon or persona in these games it was when i when i knew that i could talk about these games potentially forever and never run out of material and for the one i'm least proud of on the flip side is the top five best persona social links video not because it's bad at all i actually completely stand by what i said in the video but because by virtue of of it being a video i made earlier on in my channel's life Mm -hmm. I've advanced so much more as a writer, as an editor, as a script writer, as as a, a voiceover, you know, sound audio mixer guy <laughs> that I could make the video so much better. I could explain my points much more thoroughly. I could make it sound better. I could make it look better. And it's a topic I'm so passionate about, you know, obviously the writing and narrative of, of these games, specifically, you know, my favorite series ever that uh, maybe I... But maybe I will remake it one day. Yeah, I think um, you could say a lot about social links in another video, possibly. Because you seem very passionate about the subject. Yeah, I I love characters. The character writing in games is my most valued part, pretty much. The narrative is very important. The characters, I need to love them. Also, they are like the king and queen. The the narrative and the characters living in the world. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. But yeah, is, sorry, I, I did both of them kind of at the same time. The no, Angelic good. Order video was also a uh, a very important video to me. And, and I, I hope th- that was the one that kind of spurred my channel to, to the success it is now. Yeah, I get that. So what's the biggest misconception people have about you and your channel? The biggest misconception is something that has been permeating in the entirety of whenever someone makes a video uh, discussing the lore of a specific subject, especially if it's a subject that most people already know about, but might not know the in-depth aspects of it. Um, a lot of people think, oh, I already know that. Like when I made a video about the four archangels, a lot of people didn't watch it because they were, they are, they're like, I already know. I already know. Yeah. Michael, Michael, Gabriel, I read, I went to school, but a lot of the nitty gritty aspects of theology, of history, can't really be understood from 
a surface level understanding of of religion or of mythology. It demands more in-depth research. And I pride myself on being able to do that research and coalescing that all into one highly digestible 10 to 20 minute video that you can, you know, consume and come out the other end, hopefully more uh, more intelligent than you were or more knowledgeable about a subject than you were before you went into it. It happened a lot in the Metatron video as well. It happened in the Mastema video uh, and even the Kuhalan video. People consistently think, oh, I already know about that. But like everything in life, there's layers deeper and deeper and deeper of understanding, especially when it comes to anthropological stuff, the history of cultures, the history of theology, the history of contemporary time periods. There's so much more to it. And I would implore you to even use my video Beyond that, go and do your own research, get these books, read them, uh, watch videos about it past mine, go down the rabbit hole that I did. It's, it's a lot of fun and I hope I can get people interested, but I just need to get them in the door. That's great. Here's a follow-up question. What's one part of the video creation process you wish you could remove? I'm a very obsessive person and consistency is the most important thing to me, hands down. It's actually quite a problem, uh, like little things like the distance between my mouth and my microphone needs to be consistent. The decibel level of my voice needs to be consistent. So when it comes to the video making process, definitely recording audio is a part that I dread so, so much. I'm confident that I can write a script over the course of a couple days, maybe even a week if it's a really long video, and I will be proud of it. But when I'm recording my audio, there's so much that can go wrong. There's background noise, there's mouth sounds, there's flubbing lines constantly that all coalesces, you know, the varying decibel levels that all coalesces into this stress that, that hits me like a truck. And after a recording session, I have to just completely shut down and, and, and just calm myself down and, and understand that we could fix it in post. But when you're in it, when you're doing it, it's so stressful. Yeah, I remember when you and I first started talking, there were points where you would send me messages and say, hey, can you listen to this real quick? Like, is there like a certain sound that you would tell me is like, like, do, do you hear this too? And I would just, and I'd tell you, it's like, no, it sounds fine. Like, like, I think it sounds good. Like, I don't hear any issue. Yeah. And I remember um, one night you and I were like looking at like methods of like improving voiceover quality and like you tried to determine like oh I, I i've been drinking too much water it's making my mouth too wet blah blah, blah. it's like introducing mm. all this like lip smack sound it's like and i get that i get wanting to make something as perfect as you can because even me personally fuck you it's my it's my interview now i hate you <laughs> yeah yeah nick tell like, us about yourself like even for me personally like something i i dread was the script writing process because i remember telling you this nolan and you even watched me do this oh yeah uh, I think I may have told you about this, Tony, but I am very obsessive with phrasing things in the best way possible so that my point gets totally across. No one misconstrues it because <laughs> not to clown on Nolan or anything. That's happened to him a couple of times where people take what he says out of context or don't understand what he's trying to say. And then they form a completely different point and they use that as fuel to call him an idiot. Just a couple of times? Eh, maybe once or twice. Yeah. But, um, a couple hundred. So what I do is when writing a script, I'm trying to get over this hurdle right now. When I'm writing a script, I'll write a sentence and then I doubt myself. And when that happens, I'll delete it. 
I'll even like go as far as delete a whole paragraph, rewrite the paragraph. It's the same point. It's just phrased slightly differently. Yeah, like it's the same same sentence, different words. Yeah, and Nolan was watching me do this once, and like afterwards, he was like, "I saw you like delete like a perfectly fine thing like five times and just rewrite it." Yeah, and each like, time you could have just kept it, it would have been fine. Each time he wrote the sentence, it conveyed the exact same point. And I and I understand that obsession. I think the reason I don't have that is because I know that no matter what the fuck I say, Twitter is just going to almost YouTube poop level cut different words together <laughs> to make me say something I didn't actually fucking say. <laughs> like the the amount of like out of context clips I have and, and like the amount of people that believe those out of context clips are exactly what I believe boggles my fucking yeah. mind every day. And, and so I think because I know that no matter what I say, it's going to be taken out of context and people are just going to literally like watch the video on mute and just assume that I'm saying something. I, I've just given up. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to say how I feel. And as long as as long as I understand it and as long as, you know, I can tell when I write something, when I reread it and I'm like, wait a minute, that's like an incoherent half sentence. Like, you know, when you get in the zone and you're writing something yeah. and you reread it after and you're like, wait a minute, that like that part doesn't make any sense. <laughs> there was a point where <laughs> I was doing a voiceover and then I got to a part where I actually just stopped halfway through a sentence and just never finished it. Yeah. Like, I, I, I have that in scripts every now and then. And so, you know, when I proofread, as long as I can understand what I'm saying most of the time, then I, I don't care. Because mm -hmm. you're never going to be able to uh, please those people. Yeah, it's it's a weird, it's like, it, you and I are so different that I have stress of the voiceover aspect and you have stress over the, the writing aspect. But in a sense, they're very similar. It's like just wanting to make sure everything is as good as possible before you push it out to the world. When you're making something for people to consume, there's no real takesies backsies. You can't edit it, not like an article. Mm -hmm. You can't just take things out, put new stuff in. Once you make it and you render that video and you hit the upload button, that's it. Yeah, Thousands but... of people are gonna see it. And if you leave in something you didn't mean to say, or for me, it's like audio mistakes, that's it. That video that you put so much time into, especially for you, Nick, uh, that you spend a month making a video. If it doesn't come across perfectly, if it doesn't convey all the thoughts that you wanted to say, see you next month. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, you mentioned small mistakes. My my Kingdom Hearts 2 video, I, I've recently realized that I, I do this thing where I take footage from an old review that I made like, just so I don't have to re-record the game. And I don't like it when it cuts to another clip, like, while I'm speaking. I usually, like, one sentence be one clip, next sentence another clip. I think it just flows better that way. And I was using footage of Kingdom Hearts 1 in that video, and for, like, two frames, one or two frames, you can see it change to another clip, and now it's there forever. <laughs> and when you notice that, you're like, ugh. What calms me down about stuff like that is that most of the time, people don't really notice things as much as the, you and all three of us make videos. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll notice specific things like we'll notice, oh, that guy's audio, you know, this audio wasn't compressed or he didn't normalize this or he didn't limit this or, or there's some math sounds here or he left in some stuff that he probably shouldn't have. But, and also for the editing side and scripting side, there's, there's things that could have been taken out. There's repeated words, like stuff that really only the most in it people will recognize. But when people, most people will consume videos very passively, they'll have it on in the other monitor or they'll have it on the TV while they're playing Candy Crush or whatever, or they'll have it on when they're at work and they could not care less about mm whether or not a couple frames of a video is is the wrong game or if I accidentally leave in uh, a little bit of mouth sounds or, or whatever. 
Yeah. And that kind of always helps me feel better, knowing that, oh, you know, the average guy won't care. Yeah, there was, there's even, like, my Yakuza 0 video has a literal export error in it, and no one has mentioned it. It's in the first, like, five seconds. And it, it's at the start <laughs> of the video. No one's said anything. I, I think, for me, I find I'm less stressed out about the video making process, because I know that I'll never be good enough. Like, I, I know that even if I make the perfect video somebody's gonna hate it you know mr beast could make a video tomorrow saying i found the cure for cancer and it's gonna have dislikes dudes are gonna be like wow this is pandering to cancer patients or some shit (laughs) like (laughs) you you literally can't win and so i think that puts me in a vicious cycle where i get an idea for a video or i find my next hyper focus that i'm gonna go into and i start playing it and take my notes and i write it and i once i get to the end of the script and to the voiceover part i get this feeling of why am i bothering because i'm gonna get shitted on for this nobody actually cares the video just sucks you know all this stuff and then as I edit it, I just fall deeper and deeper into that mindset. And then by the time the video's finished, I'm like, oh my god, this video sucks ass, but I haven't uploaded anything in three weeks. I might as well just throw it up, whatever. And then I come back a week later and I'm like, oh, well, maybe this video is actually kind of good. And then I come back like a month later and I'm like, no, this video definitely kicks ass. And so I feel like, I don't know, I, I feel like for me, I, I care less just because I get in that like mindset of like, I hate myself and I hate these stupid videos and I'm, I'm, a, I'm I should be ashamed for making some shit like this. And it's really toxic, but it's just kind of the way the internet goes. But it does give me the inverse problem of now I don't I don't really care. I'm just so like accepting of the fact that no matter what I put out, somebody's going to hate it. It's like I might as well just put out something that I like and that I can look back on and be proud of. All right, Tony, you've done top fives. You've done lore videos. You've talked about even manga on your channel, all of it relating to SMT. So I'm guessing you still want to stick to that. So I'm just curious, where do you plan on taking your channel next? What's next? That's always a question that I struggle with. I'm sure as you guys know, personally, I talk to you guys all the time. Long term, I want to do more discussion style videos where I give my opinion on topics. Uh, I feel like I have a unique perspective that I have, uh, being mainly concerned with the narrative and my obsession with lore. But like the philosophy of endings, the psychology of characters, things like that, I'd like to dive far deeper into it, even potentially branching out to different aspects of the games and different aspects of media in general. I can see you having a field day with Dark Souls as far as like lore goes, like, you know, Bloodborne and whatnot. Potentially. I've always watched those videos, especially when I was younger, the guys like Vati Vidya and, and it almost felt like they were playing a different game than me because they understood these characters that you only see the name of yeah and you see their armors and and there's like entire games that could be made about them i've always loved stuff like that so i got a i got a question regarding your channel and and maybe i feel like this is a hard question so feel free to not answer within a youtube context when do you think you have made it the goal for making it always moves honestly I make sure to have a healthy perspective of what success, quote unquote, is. Money is nice. Subscribers are nice. But the next achievement is always coming up. Hmm. Uh, really making it would be the ability to write and talk about whatever I want uh, and have a consistent viewer base that would enjoy hearing what I have to say. Being Even having the ability to be like a variety streamer or make purely passion-driven videos and discussions, I feel like that would be really nice parlaying this into maybe different avenues of 
of media, like like I said before, streaming, uh, talking about the philosophy of just it, maybe just philosophy in general and psychology in general mm-hmm. and uh, theology in general, things like that. I'd love to branch out into. You know, you say the word variety streamer, and I just want to go on a uh, side tangent that I fucking hate that mm-hmm. phrase or like that title. <laughs> No. Because all it does is it allows Twitch streamers, they think it doesn't pigeonhole them. Twitch streamers think <laughs> that they can just play the same fucking game for three years, but call themselves a variety streamer, and it means that, like, everyone from every community is going to follow them. And it, and it, I, dude, it just annoys the shit out of it, because, like, I'll always see dudes that they'll only play Call of Duty, and that's fine. All right, you can you can specialize in something. I mean, case in point, you guys specialize in SMT, and I specialize in mostly, you know, Batman and uh, what's the word and, and Assassin's Creed. But don't call yourself Variety if you're not actually Variety. And like, you'll see people that play the same game for so long, and then they'll just be like, no, 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 trust me, like I'm Variety. I, I expand. I do a lot of I do a lot of things on the channel. And it's like, no, bro, you farm the same fucking boss on Destiny. <laughs> day in day out like a nine to five there's no variety and that's okay but whenever i hear the word variety streamer i don't even think about somebody who plays a bunch of different games i'm like oh okay so you only play one game jeez <laughs> sorry yeah but- no i i meant i didn't mean to trigger that but i mean like in the truest sense <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that is like a good sign that you have made it where you don't have to worry anymore. Yeah. Or at least as much. Like if I got to the point where I could bring back fucking Ratchet and Clank and people would watch it, that's how I know I'd make it. Yeah. I could finally talk about Ape Escape without my channel dying. Oh, the That'd dream. be rad. I think for me, making it would be having seniority on the platform and stability. I mm-hmm. want to be able to consistently bring in a certain dollar amount every month. And before people start saying like, oh my God, I can't believe you're just doing it for the money. Shut the fuck up. I need to eat. And and I think having that seniority of being respected on the platform. Like you, you look at guys like AVGN, they've been around a long time. Even Even people who aren't fans of his content, they at least respect like what he does. And I don't mean, and I'm not trying to compare myself to him because I think he was a, a pioneer uh on the platform and he i think he popularized the the angry review yeah like the retro game review i think that was pretty much him that started it yeah 100 percent. and and so i i don't think we're either of us are pioneers in our in our field i think we're just uh, for myself i try to as respectfully as possible just occupy my own space you know what i mean and i'm not trying mm-hmm. to change the game I'm not trying to ruffle any feathers. I'm just trying to do my own thing. I'm just going to sit here, be grateful for the space I have and just do that. But what I'm saying is that, okay, let's look at someone like some call me Johnny who maybe didn't reinvent the wheel, but he's been doing it for so long and has done it with such a consistent level of quality that you have to respect what he does. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I know you've been watching him for years and I've been watching him for a, a fair bit. That's where I feel like making it is like even recently he made a video on um a licensed game that a fan donated to him and he managed to crank out a good video on it people love it people love listening to him i think that's like a goal to strive for yeah tony is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or touch on and i guess that goes for you too nick oh there's one thing that i wanted to say that is something that I've been talking to people about for a long time, but I never really could get my point across properly. And I, but I think you guys will understand. But when you first start out, start out establishing a community for yourself is difficult, but being a part of a community is sometimes even harder. Everyone assumes that the people that make videos about the same topic are aware of each other, if not friends. But 
most people kind of keep to themselves. And starting out reaching out to people like I did, I had a series where the whole point of it was to ingratiate myself into the community and, and reach out to people and ask them to take part in my videos. One of those people being Noms Compendium. Thank you very much for agreeing to do that. But really trying your hardest to become a part of a community is very difficult. I agree. And and I've talked to you guys about this in private that I sort of struggled to find a, uh, a, a sect on YouTube. I mean, I, I had the same impression that I thought all these different review channels that did like these long form videos kind of knew of each other and they don't or, or they, they might know of each other, but it's not like they talk to each other. And so I'm not saying that, you know, just because I occupy the same subgenre as somebody means like we have to be friends, but I thought it'd be a lot easier to make friends with other creators, but it definitely isn't because I don't know how to reach out to people on the internet and be like, hey, let's play some games together or something like that. And I find what I always worry about is I'm worried that people are going to think that I have, what's the word? Um, ulterior, ulterior motives. Thank you. Wow. Um, ulterior motives for, for reaching out to them. And there's some people that I've reached out to where truthfully, if I message you in your DMs, I say, hey, I love your videos. That's all it is. Like if I want to collaborate with you, I'm just going to flat out ask right? But yeah. I more I worry that people are going to, I'm going to be kind to somebody and express interest in like, you know, shooting the shit with them or something like that, or jumping into a Fortnite game and them take that as, oh, they're trying to, you know, collaborate or something like that, or they're just trying to grow their own channel. And I, and I know that's unavoidable, but I find that's something I struggle with. And the reason I want more YouTube friends is because I don't talk to any anybody in my real life about YouTube aside from Nick because I met him in real life I mean I try to keep it pretty close to the chest because and I, I don't mean for this to sound egotistical but internet clout makes people act different and I don't like revealing what I do because I find that I get treated differently like I had people that literally used to bully me in high school because of my YouTube channel that are now messaging me saying like wow great job always knew you could do it and and so I think when I, I'm like, why don't I make friends with people that are already in that sphere? And then it's not weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're not as, I guess, thirsty for it. And, and so I, I thought that would be a good idea and it has not worked for the most part, but I've made some, I've made some great friends along the way. There's this guy named Tony for you that I talk to every now and then, but yeah. Yeah. Well, Sometimes. like very rarely, like if I, I, you, you wouldn't catch me dead talking to this dude like every day. Uh, but like I've made friends with people like Gaming Wins. He's really cool. So it's it's definitely a, a hard thing to sort of nestle your way into, especially because nobody likes being the new guy. You know yeah. what I mean? And to build on your point, it's you said it before, but I want to kind of expand on it. It's if you're reaching out to someone to collaborate, it's a lot easier if I DM somebody on Twitter and I'm like, hey, do you want to be a part of my video? This is the video that I'm going to make. This is what I'd like you to do for it. Would you be interested? That's one thing. But sometimes like when I want to reach out to someone to get to know them or be their friend or ingratiate myself into the community, like I said before, I feel like a kid again, like twirling my hair, like looking at the floor, like, mm, do you want to be friends? <laughs> yeah, straight up. Like, you know how much confidence, do you have any idea how much confidence and like balls it takes to just reach out to some dude? with like a ton of subscribers and be like, hey, do you want to play Fortnite? Like, yeah. And what's fucking insane to me is I have 128,000 subscribers and yet I get nervous reaching out to a dude with like 30K because I'm like, yeah. oh my God, this guy's so important. 
he has so many subscribers <laughs> like he doesn't have time for me and it's it's weird how you can forget what your own like i guess subscriber count is if yeah. that really matters well because that's what i always think about it. i'm like oh this dude has so many subscribers he doesn't give a fuck about me i'm a little no name and it's like <laughs> <laughs> and it's so weird how like in your own head you can get about it and i'm not saying that well actually i am saying that i think having a decent number of subscribers gives me more confidence on the internet because it feels validating. Yeah, I feel that. But I feel like also, I, I I don't think I'll ever shake the feeling that I always just assume nobody knows who I am because why would they? Oh, no yeah. matter how many, how big the number is next to my name on YouTube, I'll always just assume nobody knows who I am. So whenever someone like people reach out to me on Twitter or I see people talk about me on Reddit or on discords, I'm always really surprised. I'm like, wait, like just people know who I am. Like that's insane. Yeah. So when, if you like reached out to somebody, this happened to me before, but I reached out to somebody, I won't say who it was, but I reached out to somebody and I said, do you want to work on a video with me? I, this is what I'd like you to do. And then later on they were talking to just like, random people and they were like oh yeah my audience recommended that i collaborate with this person and he actually reached out to me and it was really cool and i was like whoa whoa, wait people like me first of all that's weird second of all <laughs> they like me enough to tell other people that they like me and that they should like me too it's like that's that's insane it's surreal i think um what was even more surreal was finding out that people that i'm a huge fan of were fans of me mm -hmm. and i didn't even know like um Fither, for example, I was just in a, I was in his live stream chat and I said something and then he, re he knew who I was and it was very weird. And, um, we ended up, um, emailing each other and he got me to do a cameo thing in one of his videos. And it was very surreal to like find out that people that you were watching for a very long time knew who you were and wanted to do stuff with you. Huh. <sighs> wow. I feel like this was a really good discussion. <laughs> yeah. I talked a lot about, um, our YouTube grievances. Well, no, I, I think this is stuff that people don't talk about very often because I think, you know, I, I myself, I get caught up in the idea that I should be more grateful because at mm -hmm. the end of the day, my job is to play and review video games. And while it definitely isn't as glamorous as I thought it would be when I was like 11 years old, it, it is still a, a great job to have. And so yeah. I guess airing grievances about it feels wrong, even though it shouldn't be. And and what I think is funny is that I'm sure any other YouTubers that watch this uh, episode are going to feel the same way. And they're going to be like, wow, I'm so glad finally, finally somebody said it. Yeah. But I think for, from the outside looking in, it looks as though we're just uh, spoiled. <laughs> it was therapeutic in a way. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the, the YouTube dream life or whatever isn't really talked about the the whole but there's no asterisks to it it's just yeah I, I make youtube videos i i just sit i record my voice i play games and i make money but it's like it's never really discussed the darker side of it i guess like the catch-22 of it yeah where it's like yeah you're self-employed you pay more taxes or yeah like i have to work all the time yeah yeah where it's like oh it now costs me money to go to sleep because I could be spending that time working on videos. Yeah. Like, I don't get paid a wage by not, like, working on something every single minute of my life. I am technically losing out on money. Yeah. Yeah, never fully being able to enjoy your free time because free time is work time and work time is free time because both of those would probably be spent playing video games anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, even the other day, my girlfriend was talking to me about... I, I was telling her that I'm working on this video i'm working on another video and and i'm also working on the podcast and she's like i feel like you have no free time and i said 
but that is my free time. I'm just spending my <laughs> free time doing work stuff. And it's and I think that's why YouTube is also kind of weird because it's like, yes, it's it's work and yes, it is hard, but it's also there is nothing in this world that I viscerally enjoy as much as I do making videos. Mm-hmm. And so I find anything else and this is shitty. This is like an awful thing to say because I've there are friends I haven't seen in a year because I've chosen each time I've weighed what I what do I want to do? Do I want to go to the bar and get drinks with people or do I want to stay home and work on a video? I've always chosen the video. And the only time I haven't is because I feel bad and I feel a moral obligation. Then I go to the I go to get drinks with them and I'm bored out of my skull. When you find that thing you enjoy so fucking much, it makes everything else lame as hell in comparison. Which is why um, you should stop playing your games and play my favorite game. Absolutely. Because my favorite game is better. Objectively. Yeah. Objectively. God. Yeah. Yeah. And you're bad for liking what you like. We could do a whole episode on how the internet doesn't know what the word objective means. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, oh, I want an objective review of a game. It's like, okay, an objective review would be like, this is a video game. Here's a picture of the cover art. I Yeah, I don't even want to go into that rabbit hole. Anyways. I think that's that's all I have to say on uh, the matter. On the matter of Tony for you, who's, by the way, his links will be in the description if you want to go search him up. His at on Twitter is at Tony for you, and his YouTube channel is, of course, Tony for you. The letter, or sorry, the number four, not the word for. Oh, my um, ad on Twitter is Tony for you, YT, actually. Um, well, there you go. Yeah, because I think if you look up Tony for you regularly, you get like gay porn results, and this is not a joke. Yep. Yeah, that's not a joke. It's very weird. Uh, I should probably try to get uh that at gone i don't know we'll, we'll we'll think about it that's like if you look up that boy aqua on reddit you just get a bunch of porn of the character aqua from kingdom hearts <laughs> so yeah yeah <laughs> we love we love reddit anyways i think that is uh where we're gonna where we're gonna end the episode then thank you so much for joining us tony yeah thanks so much for having me it's a lot of fun i'm happy uh to come back like you guys said yeah tony uh we're glad to have had you on the episode we would love to talk to you again at some point on this podcast absolutely of course we're going to talk every single day for the rest of our lives because um <laughs> that just seems to be the uh the little tradition we have in our own personal server mm-hmm. yeah always fun is there anything you want to tell the audience any sort of project you're working on that they can expect to see anytime soon uh yeah like i said i want to do more discussion style videos so if you want something like that stay tuned obviously with the release of personas 3 4 and 5 on pc and xbox i'm hoping to do more persona content so uh look forward to that if you're interested and uh as always uh dig deeper past the surface and understand the lore and become enlightened like myself all right well thank you all for listening it's been a pleasure and we'll see you guys on the next episode of polar opposites